This morning's scripture reading will be from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Carl, I surely would like to have one more conversation with my father. There's a whole lot I needed to ask him before he went that I never got an opportunity to get around to doing that. Can I know God's will for my life? Or can I know what God expects of me as, as someone who was created in His image? I believe I can know what God's will is for my life and Someone asks the question, though, how can you be so sure that you know exactly what God has in store for you or what He wants you to do? And I think that's a great question. I think that's a question that all people should ask. Can I know God's will? Can I determine what that will is? There are so many people in the world who simply take the word of someone without doing any kind of research or study. They simply tell them that this is what God would have you to do or this is what God expects and without opening the Bible and looking at the the pages wherein God addresses those certain things. And we simply take the word of many people. I always like to say, and I don't know if I've said it in some time or not, but don't take my word for it. Always search the Scripture. Find out what God says. The Bereans were more faithful than those in Thessalonica, for they studied the word daily to find out what they were hearing, whether it was so. And Paul... The inspired apostle was their preacher. So I think I can know what God has in store for me or what He wills for my life, what He expects of me, but I have to find out what that is. God does not want us to take anyone's word for it. The apostle John made a statement, 1 John 4 verse 1, he said, Try the spirits. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. So we can determine whether they're from God or whether they're not from God because there are a lot of false prophets, he would go on to say, that who have gone out into the world and, and they're teaching things that are in opposition to what God has stated. This morning I want us to consider the statement, I can know what God's will is for my life. And that's the title of the sermon. I can know what God's will is for my life. Now, to determine whether or not that's a true statement, I want us to examine this statement read for us by the Apostle Paul. If the God of the Bible exists, and He does, I ought to be able to know what He expects, what He desires, what His will is for my will to be. 
I think it is always important to understand the context of Scripture. As we look at what was read for us, First John 2, 1 through 6, that is a continuation of what Paul, or excuse me, what John was talking about in the first chapter. There is no break between 1 John 1 and 1 John 2. Instead, the apostle is still treating the condition and the conduct of the believer as determined by his walking in the light. That's the first major division of 1 John. Now, having demonstrated the Christian does sin from time to time, he pointed out the remedy for that sin. And then he exonerated and exhorted that individual, the people reading and those who would later read it, to not sin. That's God's will, isn't it? Don't sin. Don't live in sin. Don't participate in sin. Now, in his commentary on 1 John, Plummer made this statement, and I think it's a valid statement. He said, He who craves to grow in sanctification and yet is conscious of his own frailty must constantly have recourse to the Advocate and His cleansing blood. Thus he will be enabled to obey God more and more perfectly. I believe that's a true statement. If a person desires to be faithful, that individual must have conduct or contact with the blood of Jesus. Without contact with the blood of Jesus, we cannot obey God. We cannot grow more and more in His obedience. So, to begin with, we have to become Christians. We understand how to do that. We talk about that all the time. We talk about the faith that is supposed to grow in the heart of the Christian. Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. We understand about repenting of past sins, turning our lives around, and living in a direction God wants us to live. We understand the concept of confession unto salvation, Romans 10.10. And we see that in practical application in John 8 verse 37, when the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Every account of conversion in the book of Acts ends in submission to baptism for salvation. That's what Ananias told Paul, Acts 22.16. That's what Peter told those on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38. That's what Peter said saved us or was the final step in salvation, 1 Peter 3.21. And so we understand that that puts us into contact with His blood initially. Romans 6.3 and 4 were baptized into His death. But the person who desires to remain faithful must still have contact. And that's what John was talking about in 1 John chapter 1. Walking in the light and having the cleansing blood of Jesus continually in contact with us. Because here's what the faithful Christian does. The faithful Christian from time to time will sin, but what he or she does is recognizes that sin. Ask God to forgive them of that sin and immediately addresses that sin. That's walking in the light. So when Plummer makes the statement saying that that is necessary to have contact with the advocate and necessary to be able to contact that cleansing blood or else we cannot grow in our sanctification more and more. I think he is absolutely correct. 
Walking in the light involves the condition and the conduct of the believer. When we look at this first main division of John, I think that it could be easily titled God is light because it does address the conduct and the action of the believer. 1 John 1, 5 through 1 John 2, verse 6. That's the first main division. It means when we look at our conduct or consider our conduct, that means that that we have to avoid certain things and certain persons, right? We see that in 1 John 2, 7 through 28. It involves being conscious of sin and being willing to confess that sin, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. It also means accepting the propitiation of Christ, 1 John 2, 1 through 2, and it means being in obedience to His will, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. I think to make things a little easier, one could simply say, I believe I can know what God's will is for my life. Now let's go back to that statement. I know I can know what God's will is for my life. And here's why. Our first point this morning is because God gives us the reason we can know. The reason. There can be no doubt that 1 John is a love letter to his little children. And John was known for describing his readers and faithful Christians in that way. So when we look at the reason I can know God's will for my life, there is a purpose behind John's writing and in this particular passage. He made the statement, These things I write unto you that you may not sin. Now, this word things refers to what had earlier been stated in chapter 1. I'm writing these things unto you so you will not sin, all of chapter 1. So what's the reason? What's the purpose? How can I know that I know what God's will is in my life? Because the reason is, He said, don't sin. That's the whole purpose of the passage, isn't it? It is for us to live without sin in our lives. And he's not talking about sinless perfection because that doesn't happen. But we can't use that for a crutch. The Word of God was written and it serves us today to strengthen us, to help us from sinning. That goes back, I love that statement that Plummer made. It allows us to grow and grow in our sanctification. We learn better what God wants us to do. We can know His will in our lives. Now, again, these things, uh, as specifically stated in 1 John chapter 1, emphasizes our daily walk in the light. And it's our daily confession of sin. Don't sin. Well, well, what happens when I do? You're walking in the light. I recognize that. I make that confession. He, His will is that we don't sin. And we have to make adjustments to our lives not adjustments to God's plan. That's how we carry out His purpose. As we look at this, I think it is very obvious that God is very concerned with sin. John was conscientious of keeping sin out of his life and the lives of his readers. And I think that his whole aim was for the reader then and for the reader now to move forward to perfect holiness or to complete holiness. 
Now, again, we understand that uh, that's not sinless perfection, but that's holy completion. Being complete in God, living as God would have us to live, walking in the light. Therefore, because of that, all those who were reading this letter, and we were warned of the liability of sin. We were told about the remedy of sin. And because of that, they were, and we are, placed on that road to that highest goal. And that was the purpose for the reason of God giving this letter. But what if someone does sin? What if someone does sin? We understand the purpose. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, haven't they? So what then? What kind of provision has God made for that? Well, He makes this statement. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now keep in mind, John is making a clear distinction between living in sin in the present and the occasional sin committed by the Christian. I've often heard, and I don't really know where this comes from, I've often heard the statement that we sin every day. I don't know that that's the case. I don't know why that should be the case. Maybe it is the case that especially new Christians who have obeyed the gospel, they're overcoming certain things and they may have a difficult time avoiding these particular pitfalls, but... What about the Christian who's been faithful for 50 years? Does that Christian sin every day? I hope not. I hope not. Because by the time you've been a Christian for X period of time, for an extended period of time, have you grown and grown more and more in the sanctification of God? We ought to. So John's making a clear distinction here. But what if one does fall into sin? Well, it's not all hopeless because he said we do have an advocate. Now, this word advocate translates from the Greek word, which literally means one who is called alongside. It was a, it was a legal term. It was used, we might call in our time a lawyer, a, a representative. Someone was brought into a legal proceeding and someone came alongside to help with their representation. That's what an advocate was. One who pleaded for the cause of another. What do we also know that as? An intercessor, right? We have multiple intercessors in this, in this life. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor for us. We are intercessors for each other, but we only have one advocate. One advocate who came along beside us. God the Son, and He lived alongside us, and He did it, such things that would allow us to be saved. So, when we look at John revealing Jesus in His heavenly office as high priest, we understand that He stands before the Father, and He is our advocate to Him. Now, this word, have, really, when He says we have an advocate, that really means that we keep on having or we have an ever-present advocate. He doesn't go away. Once one obeys the gospel, he has an advocate for the Father, before the Father, and we always have that. Christ said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, according to the writer of Hebrews. 
And so we have a remedy for that sin that happens out of ignorance, that happens out of laziness, that happens out of weakness, that happens out of inadvertence. We have an answer for those sins, and God will forgive us of those sins. But we have to be in contact with the blood of our Advocate. There's a reason we can know the will of God in our lives. Now I want us to notice the response on God's part that made that happen. That's our second point. What was his response? He gave his only begotten son as the propitiation for the sins of the world. What is God's will that we don't sin? What kind of a response did God have to our sinning? But for those who want to be obedient, those who strive to be obedient, He wants us to still walk in the light, but we have to have this propitiation. He gave the world the only gift worthy that could take away the sins of the world. I believe I can know God's will for my life because of the propitiation of Christ Jesus. Now, I think Paul stated perfectly that sentiment. Notice Romans three twenty-three through 26. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now that takes on a greater meaning for us, doesn't it? When we understand that God is favorable toward us, he propitiates us, he's favorable, he wants us to be saved. And the 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 process by which we can be saved and His justness still be met is through the propitiation of Christ Jesus, demonstrating God's love and favorableness toward us. And it extends the exercise of mercy again while still answering His wrath against sin. Now we can't say, well, God's not just because He forgives sin. No, God is just. Every sin must be punished for the wages of sin or death, Romans 6.23. But when, when Jesus paid that debt, through His propitiation, God's justness was met. But what about all the people? What about all the people in the world who are not Christians? Christ was a propitiation. But there are people in the world who have not obeyed the gospel. Can they know what God's will is for them? They better be able to, hadn't they? The same way in which Christians can know because of of God's propitiation of giving Christ, His being the propitiation for sin, the the one-of-a-kind process that, uh, that answered for sin, they can know also through that what God's will is. Because notice what he says. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. See, the atoning sacrifice was made for all of mankind. There's this 
teaching in the, the religious world, this false notion of something that is known as limited atonement. Limited atonement means that God did not waste His sacrifice. That's a Calvinistic doctrine. Only those who obey the gospel and become Christians have access or have contact with that atoning blood. Here's the bottom line. God died for all the world. God the Son died so all the world could be saved. That's what John 3.16 is all about, isn't it? For God so loved the world. He didn't say anything about a limited atonement. God didn't limit His atonement. It's there for the taking. Now, in practical history, the, the person who obeys the gospel is the person who can enjoy that atonement. But it is still offered to the world. So there's no limitation to the atonement. Notice what Paul said, 2 Timothy 2, beginning with verse 1. He said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, that man Christ Jesus. Again, in historical reality, the only people that benefit from that mediation are those who obey the gospel. But it is available to all people. God did not limit that atonement. I believe I can know God's will for my life. I know that because he gave the reason for it. He specifically stated, don't sin. That's the purpose. He gave us a propitiation. That was his response to the fact that sometimes we sin. Now finally, I want us to notice the results of of knowing God's will for my life. That's our third and final point. The result of that is we can know. Simply stated, we can know. The word know means that we can be sure. We can understand. And it's used a lot of times in the writings of John. He uses it many times. And in fact, he used it in the sense that it is a present and perfect tense of the verb, which means to come to know. That's talking about experience, right? We can perceive, we can recognize and it's, it's a progressive knowledge gained through experience. And we see that. We can see what God has done for us. But John wasn't implying that his Christians were some, uh, his Christian readers were in somehow in doubt of their salvation. They knew full well they were saved. We can know that we are saved because we can know God's will for our lives. We can know what He wants us to do. Instead, what He was doing, instead of making it seem as if there was doubt, he was giving them practical ways in which they could test those false teachers. Okay? We can know that we know, he said, if we keep his commandments. So I can know. We all can know, right? This idea of keep expresses the idea of watchful and observant obedience. That reminds us of the parable of the ten virgins they were to watch and to be ready Peter said we were to watch be sober be vigilant 1 Peter 5 8 for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour there's no real knowledge of God 
There's no fellowship with God unless there is practical conformity to His will. Can I know what God's will is for my life? Absolutely I can know. We might live, or we might know intellectually something about God. We might be able to see His handiwork through nature, through general revelation. We might even affirm His true existence. We might affirm the Bible as His Word. But until we commit our wills to His will, we're not living the way He wants us to live. John went on to say, The one who says that he knows God but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. The phrase is, if we say or he who says were catchwords for false teachers at the time, and John was addressing that. You see, they claimed a knowledge of God. They acknowledged sin in their lives, but they didn't say that it affected them one way or the other. There was no detrimental result of sin in their lives. They said, the, the, the one may sin in the body, but the spirit remains cleansed. Well, that's not true. That's not the case. And so John is refuting that. We can know what God's will for humanity is. Can I know what His will is for my life? Absolutely. I can understand that. I can know whether or not I'm doing it. And that's why I can know that I know. How? Because He's given me knowledge. He's given us all knowledge, hasn't He? The false teacher at the time of Paul again They acknowledged willful sin in their lives, but they did not acknowledge that it would cost them their souls. I think there is a a world full of people today that live that same way. In one of his tracts titled, Do a Christian Sins Damn His Soul, written by Brother Guy Woods, he quoted a prominent denominational preacher. Let me read this quote to you. This denominational preacher said, We take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward people have nothing whatsoever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep. All the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer. And all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatsoever to do with the salvation of his soul. Can you believe that someone would put that in writing? John is clear. We can know what God's will is for our lives and we can know because He's given us the knowledge and we can obey it. We can know if we keep His commandments. Notice some of the phrases John used inspired by the Holy Spirit. Sin not. We know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And keepeth not His commandments is a liar. But whoso keepeth his word ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 
Now, brethren, I'm going to take the Holy Spirit's word for it. I'm going to take the Holy Spirit's word for it, not some preacher, not someone who claims to be a preacher. I think far too often people point to things like situation ethics. And so by pointing to situation ethics, they say truth is relative. Truth is relative. And a lot of the time, they'll go to Hebrews chapter 11 and poor Rahab. They say, there you go. Rahab was cataloged in in Hebrews chapter 11, often known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, because she had enough faith in God to lie about those two uh, spies who who were in her home. Now that makes about as much sense as saying Noah is cataloged in Hebrews chapter 11 because he got drunk. Abraham is cataloged in Hebrews chapter 11 because he was a liar, at least on two occasions. David is cataloged in Hebrews chapter 11 because he was an adulterer. That makes as much sense as saying Rahab is there because she lied. All of those people are cataloged among the faithful in spite of those sins they committed and they repented of and were forgiven. That is why Rahab is cataloged in Hebrews chapter 11. We can know what God wants and He doesn't want us to sin and He will not reward sin. In fact, Rahab's faith was not strong enough to believe that the God who allowed His people to cross the Red Sea to win two battles in the wilderness, to cross a flooded Jordan River, that he didn't have enough power to save two spies from a handful of guards. But in spite of that, she was a faithful follower of God, repented of those sins, and that's why she's there. We can know what God wants in our lives. He gave the world a reason. He gave a provision to accommodate His righteousness and His justness, and we can see the result of knowing and following what God wants us to do. By His one sacrifice, Hebrews ten fourteen, He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I can know how to be sanctified. I can know God's will for my life. Now, all I have to do is follow it. He's provided it. You need to answer the Lord's invitation. Follow the will of God's life in your life. Whether through initial obedience or through coming back, repentance of sin, if you've fallen away, prayer and asking God to forgive you. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.